0: Jesus, I thank you so much for your love. And, and uh, God, for all the people here that you have divinely appointed to be here. And, and Lord, you have um, been working in all of our lives up until this point, God. And I pray that you would teach us from your, your servant, Paul, who uh, was so just powerful in this section of the, of the word, Lord God. And I pray that you would change our lives. Lord, you would help me to trust you. <coughs> help me to be full of faith and believing your word. And, and Lord, where I don't, I just pray you would help me to see that and help me to be humble in my um, seeking you every day. And Lord, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. I ask you would baptize us in your Holy Spirit right now. Just that this entire room would be flooded with your Holy Spirit. All of us would partake together of, of your great presence. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So tonight's message is called, That's Going to Leave a Mark. That's Going to Leave a Mark. Not so much here, or here, (laughs) right there. This letter ends with force and excitement. You know, Paul, it's like Paul rips out the pen of his servant that's been kind of writing the letter for him, uh, because he he can't possibly communicate all the passion and intention that's in his heart with mere words dictated. He has to write it himself. So um, just as a, a general commands his army, we've seen Paul waging this war on legalism throughout all these studies that we've been looking at. Um, but now he, he goes in there himself. You know, he's fought this war with his whole life. And he, 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 speak, he speaks to us tonight and proves that. And every ounce of his effort, every piece of his flesh has been given to defend the true gospel of grace that has been preached to you and me and that we've come to believe in. And so we're here in this place and we're part of our church at Calvary because Paul was such a burly guy. He was so awesome. He was he left it all out there. He he was all in. And because of that, we are who we are. Because of that, You know, 1500 years later, Martin Luther could come along the scene and and learn about grace and 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 really start standing on these principles. And we have a whole reformation from that. And and then, you know, up until the church we have today that um, for some part is learning about grace and living by grace. And so God has always been faithful to preserve his true message of grace. And tonight we're going to see some of the the very key elements of that. So look with me at Galatians chapter six, verse eleven. We left off last week in verse 10, talking about doing good to all those who are in the household of faith. So right there, he kind of concludes his his little direction there. And he rips that pen out of his his little helper guy that was writing the letter for him. He was just dictating it. And look what he says. He says, see what large letters I've written to you in my own hand. Well, Why does he say that? Well, there's a couple ways that we can look at this as you're studying it. Number one, you can think that he was blind, basically, and, uh, or his eyesight had gotten so bad that he had to write real big to see it. Okay? Another way to look at it is that he was basically mocking them, mocking the recipients, and saying that he was kind of like writing in baby language, baby talk, or like, look, what, look how big letters I have to write for you to just understand the simple thing I'm saying so that could be a, a reason that he did that, was putting it to them like, you guys should understand this. I shouldn't have to write it in big letters, but I am. And then another way you can think about it is that he was trying to communicate the forcefulness and passion by using large letters like uh, like writing in caps or underline. Have you ever gotten a text message all in caps? What does that make you think? Oh my gosh, someone is shouting at me. Or have you ever gotten this? You better call me right now. All in text, in a text message. (coughs) You don't want to get that. (laughs) That is the uh, text message way of shouting. So if you think about this letter as a giant text message, this part, Paul is in all caps. He's like, I'm going to write the rest of this letter in capital letters so that you guys understand and get the forcefulness, get my heart behind it. This isn't just something I'm dictating to someone just uh, at the whim of my desire. This is something I'm so passionate about that I have marks on my body. I have marks on my very body that prove my passion for this. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Paul wants to slap them in the face with a real, uh, real quick to make sure they get the point that he's going to make at the end of this letter. And the first real intense point he wants to make is he wants to he wants us to understand the motives of legalistic ideology if if you have a legalistic tendency he wants us to go back to the motives and he's going to contrast it with his own motives so with the motives uh, if you if you struggle with legalism or you know someone who struggles with legalism this is going to des- describe what is really going on in the heart what's really going on so look with me in verse 12 he says As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross, of Jesus of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation so let's break that apart a little bit and see what the lord has for us so that first part as many as <clears throat> desire to make a good showing in the flesh these would compel you to be circumcised So the motive of legalists is a good showing in the flesh, a good showing. It's all about the outward appearances. It's all about the show. The kids today would call them posers. Maybe that was five years ago, but I'm dating myself. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they're, they're just imitating. They're putting on a show. They're about the outward look. And in our study, we have detailed the difference between this imitation of godliness with true spirituality, which is actual godliness, real righteousness given to people who did not earn it. Really being a good person when you didn't even earn it, when you didn't even try hard to get it. That's what true spirituality is. The legalists in the Galatian church and the people in your life who are deceived by this uh, same idea, have the exact same motivation. They want to win the dog show. The beauty pageant. They want all the people to judge them and say how wonderful and beautiful they are. That's what they're about. How wonderful they've made themselves to look or to be. In the, that's the root of the problem. It's in their desire to make a good showing in the flesh. They think that somehow my flesh is a little less sinful than your flesh. And so I, I, I'm going to compare myself with you. And in that comparison, I can feel better about myself because I did just a little bit better at keeping those Ten Commandments than you did. And it makes them feel good. When the gospel says that all flesh is sinful, every human effort Every human, every effort, excuse me, that a human can make is flawed and fails to accomplish true righteousness. Every effort, except for Jesus's efforts, because he did it in the strength of, of the Lord. So are you saying that we're not supposed to care what people think about us? Well, yes and no. Our desire is to be um, is to glorify Jesus. Our desire is to be to glorify Jesus. If we live to glorify Him, we will want to tell people about the grace that He's given us. We'll want to do the right thing because it's what the Spirit is doing in each one of us. Each morning when we pray and when we read, the Holy Spirit is doing that in us. It's giving us those desires. So when someone sees your good works and sees that you're, you're doing a good job. I mean, you're, you're honoring, you're, you're, uh, you're, you live a righteous life. They say, wow, God has done a lot in you because I know what you used to look like. And I know how you used to think and, and it's totally not the same anymore. But the issue is their desire. When our desire is to glorify the Lord, it's great because we can live a righteous life. But when their desire is, is to look good for the flesh. Then someone comes along and says, Wow, you look really awesome. You have really studied. You are so disciplined. You're so smart. Man, you're so strong. I just want to be like you. (laughs) And, of course, who gets the glory in that situation? The man, the flesh, God doesn't get the glory. And so is it going to last in eternity? No, it's not going to work. Then it says here that these would compel you to be circumcised. They wanted the Galatians to become circumcised so that they could wear the submission of these Gentiles as a badge of achievement, these Jewish uh, legalists. Even if you remember, David had boasted uh, of the 200 foreskins of the Philistines that he had killed. So these legalists wanted the allegiance of the Gentiles primarily as a trophy. Not because they cared about them. Not because they even wanted them to be righteous before God. They wanted the, the reputation. And the word compel is an important word. There's nothing wrong with the Gentile being circumcised, but there was everything wrong in compelling a Gentile to be circumcised. Saying they could not be right with God without coming under the law of Moses. That's wrong saying that their relationship with God was based on something they did, when it's all based on what Jesus does. So then it says, only that they may not suffer the persecution for the cross of Christ. This is either from other legalistic Christians or from those still in Judaism. Um, Their unwillingness to stand in the face of this pressure made them stand for false doctrines. Or, there's another way we could think about it. By aligning Christianity with Judaism through emphasizing circumcision and the law of Moses, men could escape persecution from the Romans. Do you remember the time when this letter was written? Who was in charge of the whole world? The Romans were. And were the Romans very nice to Christians? No. They were killing them. Nero was rounding up Christians and and making them fight the lions and, and all these crazy things and then burning them. As, as lights, in his, uh, tying them on a stick, ditch him, uh, dip them in pitch and lighting them on fire, and they were lights for his gardens. And that's, what he, that's how he was treating Christians. And so these men may have wanted to avoid that type of persecution, say, guys, guys, quit it with all the Jesus stuff. Just get circumcised. You can be Jewish. Jewish is okay in the mind of the Romans right now. So let's just, like, pretend we're Jewish. But what happens when you do that? You sell yourself out. You sell out Jesus. Jesus says you don't have to be circumcised. So you don't have to. So, that that's kind of what could have been going on there. But, you know, um, Paul was opposing this. And he included the cross in, in their proclamation. Um, so, so, what sin or deception are we trapped in because we do not want to suffer persecution for the cross of Christ? You know, following Jesus can be dangerous to your health. Did you know that? Have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Who's read it? It's an intense book, to say the least. You know, we choose to live a life of service and sacrifice. That's what you have chosen for being a believer. Of course, it's for the hope of eternal life that we behave in this crazy way. But the thing is, life has a way of weeding out those people who are true believers and those who are not. And many times it becomes clear what a person believes when it costs them something to stand up for grace and for Jesus. When persecution and trials abound, so do the glimpses into someone's personal beliefs and their theology and their trust in God. For not even those who are... Let me back up on that point. Some people want to jump in and serve. And that's great. I love the heart that you want to jump in and serve. And you say you believe in Jesus, which is great. I'm glad that you say that. But how do I know? How am I really going to know? Until I see your life over a period of a few months, or years even, or days... Depending on your life and what, how you react when you face trials. That is a big, big thing. How do I know you? How do I really know you? You know, and that's why at church, you know, you can't just fill out a ministry application your first week at Calvary. We have to know you for like six months and, and that's an important thing. And part of that getting to know you is seeing how you react. Or is the first thing you do when things get rough, you're down at the bar drinking it up is that the first thing you do if that is I I understand and, and I'm glad that I know that now but I'm really glad that you're not teaching my second graders how to handle and how to believe in Jesus because you can say a lot but you can destroy everything that you say with some simple actions he says for those who are circumcised keep the law for not even those who are circumcised keep the law But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So here's the question: when you come into a a situation where someone is being legalistic, all you have to do is ask them one question. It's easy, and it makes them so uptight. You say, Do you keep the law? It is awesome to watch them squirm, because the law is great. The law is perfect at doing what it's designed to do, which is reveal our sin. You, and they say, oh, yeah, I keep the law. Oh, you've kept the law your whole life? Well, no. Well, then I'm sorry, but then you can't be righteous by the law. Oh, but it's just about trying hard. Oh, if it was about trying hard, Jesus didn't have to die. Sorry, Jesus didn't have to die if it was just about trying hard because all the Jews tried really hard. They all tried so hard, and every single one of them failed. And so Jesus came along saying, Your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees who were tithing of their salt. They would pick one grain of salt out of ten to tithe it. That's how intent they were at keeping the law. But yeah, Jesus said, It doesn't matter. Because that's not how righteousness can come to a human being, except for Jesus. So, do you keep the law? I want you to remember that question. Whenever someone comes to you and they have a legalistic mindset, ask them that question. Do you keep the law? And it's going to lead you down a trail that will let you guys who are skilled at grace, skilled in grace, you guys will be able to help them, come alongside them, not beat them down with rules, which is their tactic, but to come alongside them with power and say, if you would like power to actually be righteous, come with me and let's trust Jesus. Let's pray to Jesus. Let's humble ourselves before him, confess our need to him, and see what he does in your life. And that's how we skillfully present the word of God and the power of the gospel to those who are struggling in legalism. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. For God forbid that I should boast in anything Except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. <clears throat> Living by grace gives us a sole focus. Everything is about Jesus. What he did, what he does. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not try harder, try harder, work harder. Be more careful. It's not about any of those things. It's Jesus. When we do good, oh, Jesus, you're so good. When we fail, oh, Jesus, forgive me. When, we're, when we need wisdom, oh, Jesus, give me wisdom. When we think we know everything, oh, Jesus, I repent. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. We boast about Him, everything He does. We can thank Him, we can trust Him, we can live for Him and serve Him. His cross. How do things get done in a believer's life? How do things... Maybe you feel sometimes like in your life you've come to an impasse where things aren't getting done. You're you're either stuck and maybe there's a sin that's, that's there and it's just so hard to get past it. Or maybe you're just stuck in an area of your job that your job's just lame. Or your boss is terrible. Or money or your relationships. How do things get done in a believer's life? The answer is the cross. What about my sin? Well, the cross can handle that. I can confess my sin and see it nailed there on the cross. What about her sin? Well, the cross works for that too. You just see her sin nailed up there on that cross. And that works. What about my trials? Well, I remember Jesus' trial. I remember that. I remember the cross. And I picture myself up on the cross. And then my tra- my trial doesn't seem so bad. What about my doubts? Well, the cross pretty much eliminates my doubts. I mean, if he was willing to go for the cross, I can't doubt that he loves me. I can't doubt what the extent he'll go to take care of me when he went to that extent. So I can't doubt. What about my worries? The cross. What about my suffering? The cross. What about my pain? The cross what about my joy it's right there in the cross everything we focus it on the cross it's hard for us to appreciate the strangeness of Paul's words for people knew that crucifixion what crucifixion was all about for the word cross and glory they just don't go together they were direct opposites because there was not a more humiliating shameful way to be executed than the cross It seemed much more logical to glory in your good showing in the flesh instead of the cross. But Paul thinks and writes with heavenly logic that surpasses anything of earth. And I want you to know this, that the word crux, which was the word for cross, was unmentionable in polite Roman society. Even the one who was condemned to death by crucifixion, uh, the sentence used was an archaic formula which served as sort of an unlucky euphemism, arbore infelici suspendido, which means, I don't know how to say it, but it means hang him on the unlucky tree. Paul did not only use this unmentionable word, he gloried in it. He gloried in it. In our in our common, I can't really come up with a common vernacular except by saying electric chair. I glory in my electric chair. You know, we think about that. and We're like, ugh, it's gross. Well, they imagine living in that time period. You had seen. Has anyone seen someone get crucified? No, we haven't seen that. That's a gruesome thing that we haven't observed. And yet they had seen that. As little kids, they saw people on the side of the road crucified by the Romans. People had seen their loved ones crucified. And so crucifixion was hated and abhorred. And so him saying, I glory in the cross. Man, it just rocked their world. And he says, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So in other words, he's saying, I, die, I have died to the way the world says is right to live. I live a new life by a new set of rules, all that Jesus commands and enables me to do by his grace. The world thinks this is crazy. For you guys to, to come here on a Wednesday night when it's negative 40 outside and, and the wind's blowing and I, half the people probably didn't even make it, they're stuck in their cars out there, I don't know, but you guys made it, and the world thinks you're crazy for even coming out here tonight for spending your time when you could be doing something fun or doing something exciting or something that pleases your flesh. But we like to serve others. We like to love others. We speak the truth to people's lives and that's not acceptable to the world. It's despised. So does the world hold influence over you? But my question is, how can a thing that's dead on the cross influence your desires? If the world has been crucified to you, if really all that this world is going for is hanging on the cross for you, then it's dead. How then can it influence your life? It can't. That's why Paul hung it there. So that it wouldn't influence him. It's not our goal to be liked or esteemed, to make that good show. It's our goal to love them by hanging on the cross ourselves. By hanging on that cross ourselves. Verse 15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, all but a new creation. That's where it's at. That is where it's at. And the thing is, we can't make ourselves into a new creation, can we? Have you tried? They say sometimes, oh, he remade him. he really remade himself, but did he? Was he still the same person? But God does it in us. At root, Christianity is something that God does in us, not something we do for God. If that's one thing we've learned in the book of Galatians, that's a big one. It is not about what we do. It's about what God does in us, through us. This is the simple definition of the dis, of the difference between the two systems of grace and law. Law is about you, what you do, how well you perform, and it works real, not very good. Grace is about what Jesus does, and that's always better. So what you do and don't do can't ever make you a new creation. It has to be a work of God in your life. You can't try harder to be more of a new creation either. You can only engage with Jesus by faith more. And this is, I mean, I, I bring this up all the time, but I still see it in a lot of people's lives. What are you doing to grow in the Lord? Oh, I'm trying harder. No, stop. Stop. Well, I'm going to try harder. Okay, but how about you just trust a little more? Oh, I've got to try harder. And they've fallen back to legalism right there. And I want to challenge you guys. Whenever you hear the word try come out of a Christian's mouth, understand they've already slipped. They've already fallen back. Unless they're like, I'm going to try to get up in the morning. I don't know. But it, 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 it it's a root problem. It's a root problem. The word try equates to effort, which equates to yourself, which is the law, which will fail. You've already failed. I will try. You failed. But I think I can Sorry, you can't. But what if I, nope, that doesn't work either. <laughs> there is nothing you can do to change a dead thing into a living thing. But you can't engage with Jesus by faith. Romans 5.2 says we have access to this grace in which we stand by faith. What does that mean? Jesus says, I'll give it to you and you say, okay, I think you'll give it to me. So I'm going to reach out and take it. And that act of reaching out and taking it, that belief, I believe you, Jesus, will give me grace. That's where it's at. That's where our whole Christian life lives. Every morning, everything we need is right there. Ask Jesus for it. Jesus says, you've asked for nothing yet. Ask that your joy may be full, he said. Ask for his grace and he'll give it to you. Here's another quick question. Well, if you ask him, you'll see righteousness flowing out of your life like a river. So here's the question. How hard did you try to get created the first time? When you were first created, man, you worked really hard for that, didn't you? No. That's like, they still don't know how that happens and how life came into you, how you were created. Science tries to explain it, but whatever. You were given a soul and made alive as a soul. And that's crazy. And God did that already. So why do we doubt that he could do it again? Why do we doubt his abilities or his power? We can't. He's cool. Look with me real quick at Second Corinthians five, seventeen. So turn in your Bibles to Second Corinthians five seventeen. You guys all have this highlighted already, I know. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you don't have it highlighted, you should. It's a good verse. It's great to remember. And it has just as much uh, to do with our future as it does our past. I mean, it is talking about our past. Old things have passed away, but the, 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 all things becoming new is happening daily in our life. It happen, it's going to happen in the future too, but it happens daily. And again, it's not, has nothing to do with us working. It's just being in Christ. Wow, what a great, just being somewhere is causing me to be alive. Yeah, that's what causes you to be alive. Just be with Jesus. Verse 16, back in Galatians, Galatians six sixteen, And as many who walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. What rule is he talking about? He's talking about the rule of grace. Grace is the rule. That's how we relate to God. It is the covenant. It is the system. It is the rule. I don't know how else you can say it. It is the way that we relate to God by trusting in his works, not our own. So, those who are in this rule, he says, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. What's he talking about? Why does he throw in the Israel of God there? What is he talking about? The Israel. Israel's a nation, right? Israel's a race of people. So how could, is there a separate thing here? And he's saying, yes, the Israel of God, the true Israel, spiritual Israel, is those who are descendants of Abraham according to faith. What was Abraham the father of? He's the father of a nation, of race, right? Yeah, of course. But what does the Bible say? He's the father of faith. He's the father of those who decided to trust God at his word, to trust that God is able to do what he said. And that's how Abraham is such a great example, and that's why he's our father when it comes to faith. We learn from him. He's our example. And so he says, if you are in that family, if you're following that rule, Man, peace and mercy is coming your way. Man, I could use more peace in my life and more mercy. Absolutely. So I need to try... Oh. Nah. No, I can't try harder to get peace and mercy. I've got to believe harder. Trust harder. Humble harder. If that makes sense, do it. And then verse 17... Let no From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in 2 Corinthians, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's just a couple pages back. It's the book right before Galatians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21, you've got to see this. Uh, for, to our shame, I, I say uh, that we who were too weak for that, but in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. So he's saying here, I am going to be bold. I'm going to tell you guys what's up, because I'm the man, and I've been through stuff, and y'all don't know. So I'm going to tell you so you know, so then you'll know. Then you'll listen to me, I'm going to be bold. That's what he's saying, okay? This is the translation version are they Hebrews so am I are they Israelites so am I are they the seed of Abraham so am I are they ministers of Christ I speak as a fool I am more in labors more abundant so he works hard in stripes above measure that's being whipped in prisons more frequently in deaths often he means I he said I actually died more than once I have died (laughs) and then somehow come back to life, like they restarted my heart. I have died. How many of y'all have died? That's what we say. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And that wasn't what we think of. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and day I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. I don't even have a clothes! Besides all the other things I'm not even gonna tell you about. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Paul is writing this with his hand and he's like, I, let no one trouble me. Guys, don't even bother me. If you if you don't want to listen to me, fine, whatever. I've written this whole letter to you because I love you and I bear in my body in the marks of the Lord Jesus. So you better listen to me. You better. Because none of y'all are naked right now like I've been and in prison and in the Fighting sea monsters with my one good arm, and like, I don't, he's just incredible. He is just incredible. The things he lists here would make a body look horrific if you think about it. Yesterday, one of the pastors was called to the hospital because we heard someone got robbed and beat up. So they go to the hospital and they visit him, and he is, um, just his face is just mangled, just swollen, eyes swollen, terrible. His his arm is three times the normal size, and he's got nerve damage. He met some people in his apartment complex in the laundry thing. Invited them into his house. They beat him up and tied him to a chair and stole everything in his house. He was left there for three days until the cops came. They finally, they'd stuffed gauze in his mouth so he couldn't scream. And he, he's mangled. I mean, he is, it was deplorable. It's the worst thing you could imagine seeing. And that is just getting beat up once. And look at the list that Paul said. This guy's never going to be the same. His arm is never going to work the same because he was up on the chair when they tied it and it cut off the circulation for three days. And Paul does this. And Paul says, look at me. I've given my whole body. It has left a mark on me. But they're the marks of the Lord Jesus. I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Do you think Paul was ashamed when he looked down and saw his bad arm? Or he looked in a mirror and saw how ugly his face was? Or did he remember all the the people that are saved because of his ugly face preaching them the gospel? Or did he think about how the Lord had used him and how he had family and had written these letters to dear friends? What did he think about? I doubt that he was ashamed. See, we will never be ashamed for climbing up on the cross and dying for something they will never be ashamed. Those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame, the Bible says. And I stand on that because sometimes it hurts. And we live in America where things aren't that bad. But if you think about these marks are kind of like a brand. Paul, it brands Paul as a follower of Jesus. In the ancient world, slaves were branded by the name of their master. Often a master branded his slaves with a mark that showed them to be his. Most likely, Paul, means that the scars of the things he had suffered for Christ are the brands which show him to be Christ's slave. I love it. John Calvin says, For even as earthly warfare has its decorations, with which generals honor the the bravery of a soldier, so Christ, our leader, has his own marks, which he makes good use in decorating and honoring some of his followers. These marks, however, are very different from the others for they have the nature of the cross and in the sight of the world they are disgraceful but before God and the angels surpass all the honors of the world. I love it. Does your life bear those marks of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you chosen to suffer for him? Believe it or not, that will be the tangible sign of grace working in your life, being crucified a little every day by faith I'm not talking necessarily about getting beat up like Paul was us here in America but did you step out in faith to love someone and you got burned did you give your heart to serve a group or church that hurt you did you trust and get hurt and now you have a scar but I did that for Jesus so now I'm not going to go to church what the church is the place to heal you at that point. The church is the place where you receive honor for your scars. Have you been made fun of or mocked for something you can't control or your beliefs? Have you had relationships severed because of following Jesus? Yet in each of these times, you guys kept your trust in Jesus. You acted as he would act. You loved agape. You forgave. You endured. And now you have your reward your, that will never pass away. And then the last verse of Galatians says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This last word is the only word that we need to focus on. We spent all this time studying legalism. Now you can forget it. Don't forget it, but you don't have to focus on it. We just study grace. You know how they tell real bills from fake bills, and you guys have all heard this. They study the real thing. They don't study the fakes. Because once you know the real thing well enough, the fake doesn't even appeal. You just catch it right off. That's fake. All we need to focus on is grace, and that's why he put it as the last thing here. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. That's how we serve. That's how we heal. That's how things get done. By grace. Not the law. By grace is how things get done. Turn to the book of Zechariah. Check this out. As you guys, know, I've, I've told you guys, but the next book we're going to study is the book of Zechariah. And this is going to rock your world. Turn to Zechariah, chapter 4. See, I don't even have it marked. I can't even find it. There it is. Zechariah, chapter 4. What am I talking about? How are? How do things get done in a Christian? How do we grow? How do we learn how do we serve how do we heal by grace by grace by grace by grace Zechariah 4 verse 6 so he answered and said to me this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel not by might trying heart nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord what's he talking about He's talking about building the temple Building the temple. What are you guys? The temple of the Holy Spirit. How is God going to build you up? By you trying hard. No! <laughs> by His Spirit, He will build His temple. He says here, not by might, nor by power, but says the Lord of hosts, verse 7 Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. We're going to get into this as we study the book of Zechariah, but just a preview, and just because it goes so well with our study tonight. Zerubbabel, he's coming back from the captivity to build the temple. He's excited, and then he sees a big mountain in his way. And he's like, No! This mountain in my way. Just like you guys. Oh, I've been saved. I'm coming to know the Lord. I'm going to start building my temple. Darn it, I'm addicted to cocaine. How does that happen? Oh. This is an extreme case, okay? That's a mountain in your life. What did Jesus say about mountains? Oh, he said, if you just have the littlest bit of faith, you can say to that mountain, go into the sea. And it will. Not if you have the littlest bit of strength or efforts or power. If You have the littlest bit of faith. You can say that mountain. But here he says the Zerubbabel. He says, before you Zerubbabel, that mountain shall become a plain. That mountain is just going to be flat like Kansas. And you can just walk right on, building your temple. And then, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it, he says. What's the capstone? The capstone is the top cap of the temple. It means it's done. It's complete. So how does the work get done in our lives? By shouting grace. By grace. Shouts of grace. Grace to it. Not grace and then let me work a little bit. Just grace. And when you're done with that, more grace. And then it's done. He will finish his work in your life by grace. You don't have to do anything to earn it. His grace will bring the capstone of your temple and it will complete your temple, your relationship with God, who you were meant to be, who God created you to be, is going to be done with grace. That's how it's done. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, it never changes. That's how it is. And we're going to see it in the book of Zechariah. And I hope you're super excited and pumped to see how Zechariah is going to change your life. Like Galatians it changed my life. And I hope Zechariah does the same for us as well. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. There is literally nothing left to say except your grace is enough. Your grace, your grace. Lord, we can shout grace. If we want to put effort into something, let's put it into shouting grace. Trusting you. Believing in you. Lord God, change us. Help us to trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.